I think that difficult song perfectly describes the way a lot of people experienced God, faith, how they live their lives. And it's, it's one thing to say, because this, this was not a Christian band who did this song, it's one thing to say, hey, this could represent people who don't have any connection to God, who aren't engaged in church. It's one thing to say that. But I, I've kind of come to the conclusion, based in a lot of conversations that I've had, that I think there are a lot of people, even followers of Jesus, who this song would perfectly describe. Just kind of nail it to the core. The reason this is a difficult song is because it blends some really great ideas with some really messed up stuff. Like, it's all meshed together in this little song. So if I, if I were picking like one of the positives out of this song, the whole idea that somebody has this sense that when life is off, that they know that they could turn to Jesus and that's something that would be of value to do, I love that. I don't just think it's a smart thing to do. I think, I think Jesus would actually engage with that kind of conversation. I think he's in. I think you can't help but look at his ministry. If you, if you looked at what was said about him in Luke chapter 7, it was not said about an isolated incident that was happening with how he was responding and reacting to people. He was with people who were difficult all the time. So I, th I think he would take that prayer from that person. I think he would be open to the conversation. But there's an underlying problem that gets highlighted in this song that is a dominant idea in our culture right now. So dominant, in fact, I, I would say that if we were honest, we would all find places where this has messed with us. Like th that it's still messing with us, the way we think, the way we act, the way we do some things. And unfortunately, it comes out in this song. Uh, this song has this perfectly embedded in there. What's the idea? What's the thing that is so dominant in our culture? Consumerism. And it's consumerism. We are world-class consumers. Uh, we consume goods from all over the world. Uh, we consume ideas left and right. We consume food, man. We, we consume more food in a day than most people get to eat in a whole week. No joke. We, we have the ability to just consume. This is a consumer-driven culture. And honestly, I think it's getting worse because of how things are set up right now. There are so many people who are engaged in the social media space. The social media space gets you to consume it, and then they have designed it so that you will consume even more. 
And then they sell you as the product. They sell your eyeballs to somebody else who then advertises to you to get you to consume. And then it goes round and round and round. And I'm telling you right now, they wouldn't be doing it if it didn't work. And it's working incredible. I, when I was growing up, they didn't have somebody who aspired to be an influencer online. Like, that's, that wasn't even a thing. And now people make millions of dollars suggesting what you should do, what you should buy, how you should think, what you should like. And it works because it's a consumer-driven culture. And it's not just stuff. It's not just stuff that we're consuming. Part of this consumption is about ideas. Buy this tequila, you'll be happy. Download this app where you can meet people who will swipe right on your picture and you can feel desired by them. Like, everywhere you go, it's about finding a way to consume. And it is so prevalent in our culture right now that now there are good things that weren't ever meant to be consumed like that that are. I'm going to do a series in September over an issue where I think we have turned it into consumption. It's, it's, not, it's not going well for us. But today I want to talk about how something as good as, and, and believe it or not, I think this is happening in our culture. I think Jesus has been turned into a consumer product. He's something that you go to to make you feel better. Did, did you hear the song? The song was about, I'm, I'm going to go to you and talk to you even though I'm not going to do anything different. Like you have all of this kind of stuff going on. And Jesus has become just another product. Let me set the context of the song. This beautiful idea that in the midst of your messes, that you would turn and talk to Jesus. I love it. I think Jesus loves it. But the context of the song was that I'm going to go to clubs, I'm going to drink too much, I'm going to do some lines a couple times maybe, I'm going to fall in and out of love. And here's the Here's the premise of the song, if you were listening closely. I want to read them just so I get them right. In, in several different places, it says, I don't change my way, and I do what I want to. So what's the point of turning to Jesus? Like in the midst of these really difficult choices that you're making, why are you turning to Jesus if you're not really going to do anything different? It's so that Jesus can be an ointment. You're just going to make me feel good for a while. And I, I think it's possible that that could happen. Because I think he overwhelmingly loves you. I think he would overwhelmingly communicate that he has a passion for you. That he understands the difficulties that you face. That he, that he wants to be involved in your life in that way. But I'm just going to tell you right now. Despite that fact, 
If you choose this kind of thinking, this consumer kind of thinking, you will never experience the life that God had, has designed you to live by doing it this way. By making Jesus just another product we consume. It's unfortunate. But it feels like it's happening a lot. It's not just that he's not an ointment. Jesus was not designed to be a fallback so that you could feel better as you kind of went about wrecking and hurting and harming your life and others. But for some people, he's become a fallback for that. On the other side, some people have treated Jesus like, like he's going to kind of make their wishes and dreams fulfilled. He's going to protect them. He's going to do the good things for them. And you have all of these different visions for what Jesus will be and will become for somebody. And all of them, all of them have a consumer-driven element. There's other things that have been, become so consumer-driven. I'm going to pull from the song again. The opening line of the song said, If there's a heaven, I hope that I get in, but I probably won't. Then he goes on to give the reasons why. Because I do all the things the Bible says don't. In our consumer-driven world, one of the views that we have of God is that somehow he has showed up with a whole bunch of rules to kill our joy. I don't know how many times I've had conversations with people in the last few years, and their comment was, I think God's just out to kill my fun, which I love to ask, what is that? I like to get the list. What is it that God's actually killing that's fun for you? And it's not hard, once I get that list, to start dealing with the reality of it because we are really disconnected from the reality of what we think is fun and how it turns out in our lives. Can I give you an example? This is really prevalent in our culture right now, and it's just false. And it's been false for decades. There are decades of surveys on this where people are self-identifying and giving the answer about what's going on in their lives. Here's the truth. The most unhappy people sexually are those who are the least committed and the most active outside of marriage. It's been that way for decades in surveys. You want to know who are the happiest? Long-term, committed, one-person relationships in marriage. You, you can go find the research. God's not attempting to find a way to pull the rug out from your joy. He's attempting to point you towards joy. But because we have a consumer mentality, we, it doesn't even make sense to us. We, we make fun of people who would believe that one man and one woman in a marriage would be more satisfied than somebody who could sleep around with a whole bunch of people. We think it's silly. And yet the values of God 
suggests that it's better for you to serve other people. It's better for you to act with self-control. Like, it would be better for your life and for other people's lives. But I'm telling you, that does not play in a consumer-driven world. So it's been just prevalent out there. God's telling me not to do this. He's just killing my fun. I don't think he's a product. I don't think he's killing your fun. And I don't think he's the other thing that I think a consumer-driven mindset has brought to the forefront. I, I hear a lot of people talk about how God or Jesus is just a bully. And they'll say it like this. They'll say, so Jesus says, you either love me or I'll send you to hell. That doesn't sound like a very loving person. He's just a bully. I, I, I would tell you right now, I, I think um, we've gotten that message from things that Christians have com, um, communicated over the years that's not right, and I want to try to set the record straight. But the, but the motivation for God coming to us and talking about life that's eternal and life that's not has nothing to do with being a bully. It has everything to do with offering you options that you didn't have before in your life. And, and it's part of this. Now, if I were to pick one word to describe all of this consumerism that maybe would be easier for us to understand, it would be this word. Our, our um, conversations about God, our thoughts about God, many of them have turned into transactional ideas, a transaction. We, we live in a consumer world. You know what a transaction is. I give you something, I get something in return. I do something for you, you do something for me in return. And for many people who follow Jesus right now, the following is done with a transactional mindset. I made a small list. I go to church. God should like me. I give money. God should bless me. These are very active and popular in the church world right now. I obey the rules. I'll be protected by God. Pray to prayer. I should have a ticket to heaven. I should be in. All of these are an attempt to turn our faith into some consumer-driven thing where we look at God as a writer of a contract. It's kind of weird. It's almost like we're gonna, we've got God on an IOU. I did this, now you owe me. And when you don't, pay the way I think, I'm going to have real problems with how this is going to go down. And I, and I think we're seeing it right now in our culture in a big way. People have expectations for how God should pay back their IOU. And when that expectation doesn't come through, they're willing to write a bad review about God. They're willing to go, uh, it's time for me to deconstruct you. It's time for me to change the way I think about this. It's time for me to reject how this is going. 
And you're either going to line up with my expectations, God, or I am going to cancel you. Like, I'm, I'm going to put you on the outs. It's all consumerism. The problem is, the foundation that God was trying to establish with mankind wasn't contractual. He, he didn't come to earth and go, I can't wait until I can get this details of this contract ironed out while I'm down there on earth. I can't wait until I can go to the cross and come off it and then ink some deals, get some people to sign on the contract on the dotted line so we can make, we can make some really good deals. His motivation for coming was love. A, a love that I, I honestly cannot understand because he sacrificed for me. And I know me, and I know my junk, and I know my mistakes, and I am not worth the creator of the universe coming to earth and dying for. But he believed I was. And he believes that you were. And it's that kind of love that he wants to be the foundation of how he interacts with you. He doesn't want some transaction. He doesn't want you to sign some contract. He doesn't want you going through the motions so that you can give and then get. There's a different word that would um, better describe what God has in mind for this thing that he's trying to establish between himself and you. Himself and me. It's found all throughout the scriptures, and you're going to see this word. It's transformational. He was looking for a transformational relationship. One that when he stepped into your life, you would be changed, you would be altered, you would be different. It's kind of... I, I understand it at one level. Like, I, I get part of it. Because change, this kind of transformational stuff that God wants to do in our hearts, it's hard, it's difficult, it's a struggle. But I am surprised by the number of followers of Jesus who have decided to believe that you can't really change as a person. You are who you are. You're stuck. The, the frailties that you have, you will have for the rest of your life. You should just accept it and live with them and move on. And I, and I want you to understand, that is not how Jesus looked at this. He came with a mission that he would die so that you couldn't probably change, but so that it would be doable. It would be hard, it would be difficult, but you can be different. You can have a different way of life. It's this sort of thing that he has in mind. But maybe it would be helpful if we understood the process just a little bit. In Romans chapter 6, uh, Paul is writing and he's trying to describe a relationship that's going to be built on transformation, not consumerism. Okay? And in verse 16 of chapter 6, he says this, Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, 
You are slaves of the one you obey. This is just logic, right? If you say, I'll, I'll be a slave to you, and you obey them, you're obedient to that slave master. That's the way it works. But he adds this. Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. There are two. There are two types of choices that you have here, which is kind of odd because the way um, Paul is about to describe this, you actually, you actually don't have a choice initially. Now, I want to just stop real quick because what Paul is talking about here is so unfamiliar to us that if you don't understand what he's talking about, um, you'll miss it. In the Roman world, slavery was common. Most of it was forced slavery, but not all of it. This is going to be hard for you to wrap your mind around. You could voluntarily sign up to be a slave of somebody else. You would sign a contract for a period of time where you would say, you'll tell me what to do, and whatever you tell me what to do, whenever you tell me to do it, I'll do it. And they would be their slave. The language that Paul's using here is the voluntary kind, where somebody is paying off their debt or trying to uh, get ahead and build up a lump sum or whatever, but they signed up to be somebody else's slave. And we look at this and we're like, hey, this, this slavery to sin, you can say it in a lot of different ways, but it's all the same thing. It's a slave to self. It's a slave to your desires. It's just opposed to God. It's whatever I do that I want to do that ignores what God says. That's a slave to sin. And here's the thing that Paul says about this. This is verse 20. He says, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. See, we think doing whatever we want, following our own desires, that's freedom. But it turns out all it is is a cycle that feeds on itself. There is no choice for what's right and good. There is no choice to leave that. That choice only comes about when Jesus makes a sacrifice for you and gives you a way out. It comes up in verse 22. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. See, when He finally came and offered Himself as a sacrifice for you, you got a choice for the first time in your life. You could choose to stay in the circle that just is about self-desire, 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 or you could actually have the opportunity to leave that finally, where God sits at the center of your life. You know the reason there's only two choices that he brings up in the text? Because there are only two choices. It's either you doing what you want to do or you decide that I'm going to follow somebody and because I do that, I'm going to give myself to them and it's going to rearrange my life. That's it. Those are the two choices. It's why it's a transformational relationship. It's not some transaction where I just do and I get. 
He wants to come into your life in such a way that you become a slave to what's good by your choice. You pick it. You want it. Why would you do that? Well, I want to give you a few things that will help define what a transactional or a transformational relationship with God would look like. And I think when you start to get that picture, you'll understand the difference versus this I'll do, I'll get kind of relationship that's going on with God. In a transformational relationship, Jesus is the prize. Jesus is the prize. This person who loved me so much to come and die, I give myself to them and my being with them is the prize. Heaven is a side benefit. You mean I get to be with this person that I adore and love for eternity? Yes. Wow, I can't believe that. But I'm with him in the midst of all this junk, all the things that are going on in my life. I'm with Jesus. And it becomes the thing that you pursue above all else. That relationship becomes so important that you'll drop anything, everything, to be with them. You know, you know those are like the early days of the dating years, right? Like you would do anything to go and spend time with that person. And you cultivate that in your ongoing relationship. You find time to spend with that person so that relationship gets deeper and deeper. That's what it's meant to be here. It's not this I'm going to do and I'm going to get. The the prize has already been given. It's whether I'm going to experience, be with that prize, listen, engage. The prize has been offered. Are you spending time? Are you paying attention to? Are you falling more in love? Jesus is the prize. The second thing about a transformational relationship is that it changes um, your direction. This is, this is not about being perfect. You're not going to be able to pull that off. That's the direction you want to pursue. But this is less about perfection and more about direction. The direction I want to go is a direction that honors God. I'm going to find a way to honor God with the way I choose to live. Why? Because out of love for Him, He showed me this love, gave me this freedom. I actually have a choice for goodness and righteousness now that I never had before. So I'm going to go His way. I'm going to choose His values. And what happens in a transactional relationship is that we experience frustrations in life and we think God's not delivering. He's not coming through with what we wanted. And what we didn't realize was that if we were just going in the right direction, that that experience with him would actually make our relationship deeper. But we give up. I trusted you. I'm experiencing difficulty. I don't understand. I trusted you. I'm experiencing difficulty. But I'm going to keep incrementally changing, incrementally moving, incrementally doing this out of love for you. And in the process of that, you grow deeper in love. But if your option is, I'm not going to change my ways and I'm just going to do what I want, 
then you really don't need a deeper relationship with Jesus. All you want is for him to show up and deliver when you want, on cue, but you don't have the IOU that you think you have. And you become more and more frustrated. But if you chose a direction and you kept going in that direction, the relationship could become more meaningful. Uh, this is in 2 Corinthians 3.18. Paul talks about this and he said, And we all, with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory. We're being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory. See, when I can see Jesus and now I'm walking with Him, I'm being transformed, transformed, transformed. I'm being changed. It's a sign of movement in your life that's beautiful. Last one in a transformational relationship. The emphasis is on God's love, not His punishment. It's on His love. Yes, God does talk about hell. There's no doubt about it. But we've come to the conclusion, based on what people have said to us, that what Jesus intends to do is to tell you to follow a certain set of rules, and if you don't do it, he's going to throw you there. And you misunderstand. What he tried to do was to give you a way towards joy, but he also is a gentleman, and if you want to go down your own path, you can. And every description of hell is a description in the Scriptures of what happens when somebody is apart from God. It's miserable. It's terrible. It's awful. It's the worst kind of existence that you can imagine. But you know what? God will let you choose that if that's what you want. That's something that you can do. But if you understood that punishment is not at the core of what he was doing. In fact, he did everything possible to make sure that that wouldn't be your experience. He came to earth. He paid a sacrifice that paid the penalty that you should have paid. And then he offered you a way out as, with a free gift. All you have to do is say yes. And you get an opportunity to have choice. You could have freedom. You could have a life that has meaning. You could do things that honor God. It's a choice that you get to make. But because it's a choice, you can choose you too. And he'll let you do that. For many of us in this room, we've chosen to follow Jesus. But it's been on transactional terms. And we've gotten pretty frustrated that he doesn't seem to be coming through for us like we thought he should. And we've missed the journey that it could have become. And so I just want to ask a simple question this morning. How, how are you interacting with God right now? Is it transactional? Are you doing things for the express purpose that you'll get? Are you trying to cultivate a loving relationship with somebody who has so much love for you, it's unfathomable? 
Would you do this for just a minute? Would you, would you all just be willing to close your eyes and bow your heads? and let, I just want to talk to two different groups of people that I think could be in the room. I think there are some here. You've been on the fence with Jesus for a while. And, and part of the reason you've been on the fence is maybe you thought Jesus was being a bully. You, you've heard people talk about this punishment side of God, and you missed the heart of what was really behind all that. He was attempting to lead you to joy, not, not crush your fun. But you've been hesitating, and you haven't really made a decision to follow after Jesus yet. And this morning, I want to ask you to consider making that choice. Don't make this about a transaction. Make this about a love. The God of the universe loves you, came to earth for you, died for you, gave you an opportunity for you to choose to experience goodness and righteousness. You have that chance. But it's about grabbing onto him to experience that. And if this morning it's finally time for you to make a decision to follow, I'd ask you to just tell him, hey, I'm with you now. I want, I want to leave the circle where it's all just about me, where I'm just spinning around in the circle, just feeding my own desires. I choose you. I want you at the center of my life. Guys, could you uh, turn the lights up just a little bit for me? If you could leave your heads down. I just need, I need to see a little bit better. I need more than that if you could. Thank you. If that's you this morning, if, you, if it was time for you to make that decision, would you just pick your head up and make eye contact with me? So I can celebrate this choice to walk towards Jesus. I want to talk to a second group of people in this room too. You've been following Jesus for a while. But if you're honest, it's been frustrating. It's been frustrating because the expectations that you had have not been delivered. And as you were sitting here this morning, the Holy Spirit kind of tapped on your heart and said, man, all we have is a transaction and I want more. I want to change your heart. I want to be the prize. I want to be the thing that you value more than anything else. And I want it to result in a different kind of life for you. That's you this morning. Can you just tell them, man, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that I got off track. I really do love you, and I want that to be the heartbeat of how I live. Guys, our hearts are quiet this morning.
I ask the Holy Spirit will continue to have conversations with the people that He needs to talk with. God, it's so easy in this consumer-driven world to turn you into just another product. And you're not. God, I know I've done it. There have been seasons in my life where I just cared about the rules and just following the rules. And you were nowhere on my radar. So grateful that you are faithful to us. That you're willing to track my heart down and call me to you. God, we need that. We need that in our lives right now. We don't need to simply show up and attend church. We need to be transformed by you, changed. You've given us an option to hold what's good, to do what's right. God, may we never take that for granted and out of grateful hearts pursue you with love. You are the prize. Never let us forget that. Thank you for being present this morning. God, there are people who raised their heads and looked at me. I ask that you would help them to find the courage to talk to somebody else, to say, hey, I, I needed to take a different direction. So I did that this morning, and I asked that they would come alongside them, cheer, hear their story, encourage them. May their steps towards you change them, change their lives, give them the kind of life they were always meant to live. In Jesus' name, amen.